Welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast. I have a special guest today. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Sure. My name is David Penson. I'm a uh, urologist. I'm the chair of urology of Vanderbilt University Medical Center and the PI of a study called the CSER study, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about looking at patient-centered outcomes after treatment for prostate cancer. That's correct. Um, two recently funded studies from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, known as PCORI. PCORI, that's correct. PCORI, comparing the effects of three early-stage prostate cancer treatments and their potential effects on a man's quality of life. Specifically, the studies looked at whether active surveillance, surgery, or radiotherapy had any effect on a man's ability to have sex or if they produced or made worse any urinary or bowel problems. So thank you again for joining us, Dr. Penson. Can you give us a quick recap on the three early-stage prostate cancer treatment options that were covered in this study? Sure, um, and uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I want to start by telling you a few things that are special about these studies. Um, they're funded by the Patient uh, Center Outcomes Research Institute, and PCORI is a unique organization. It uh, was funded through uh, Obamacare, and it's a public-private partnership. Um, and they really have a different approach to research. They really want to have patients involved in the research. And so all these studies really have a strong patient advocacy component. Often patients are members of the study team or at least really played a key role in putting the protocols together. So hopefully the results in the studies are a little bit more applicable for patients and they can access them a little easier than the usual sort of, you know, medical therapies that are harder for some patients to get their arms around. The studies that are really uh, were covered here, there are two of them. One is our study from Vanderbilt. We call it the CSER study, the Comparative Effectiveness Analysis of Surgery and Radiation and Localized Prostate Cancer. And the other one came from uh, University of North Carolina, which was uh, led by a guy named Ron Chen, who's a radiation oncologist, and it's called the Process NC study. And both studies had strong patient representation. In our study, as an example, we had a patient advocate named Ralph Conwell, who's a, a prostate cancer survivor, who became a part of our team, came to every research meeting, and really guided us on the way we were doing the work. He wasn't just an, a consultant. He was a really an active player. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helps us to interpret the data and make it more palatable for patients to understand. Sure. The studies themselves end up showing the, telling the same story. Uh, both studies follow patients out for about two to three years after treatment. They're big studies, what we call population-based studies. In the North Carolina study, it's a, a population-based group of men in North Carolina across the entire state diagnosed with prostate cancer. In our study, it's actually five states. Um, we use the SEER tumor registries to put them together. And we followed these men right before, right before treatment, all the way out to about three years after. The North Carolina study followed them out for two years after. Okay. And what did it show you? Well, the first thing is both studies really showed you that active surveillance had the least impact, the least negative impact on patients' quality of life of any of the options. And that's a key point. So if you look at surgery, look at radiation, there are side effects which really affected men's quality of life after mm -hmm. treatment in a not positive way. Yeah. But if they went on active surveillance, things looked about the same throughout the course of the study. So the first thing that tells me from the study is if I'm a patient and I'm eligible for active surveillance, and that's a key point, we really didn't look into that in the study, but we're really talking about low-risk patients. Yeah. If you can do active surveillance, 
you should definitely be trying to go down that road. Now, obviously, some men are uncomfortable with that. It can cause them to be nervous. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you're not the right guy cut out to do that. But if you are, if you're comfortable with it, active surveillance seems to have the least impact on your quality of life. Then when we looked at the two other treatments, surgery definitely had an impact on quality of life. We found that there would definitely had a negative impact on sexual function, that if you were having good erections before you had treatment, you were less likely to have good erections after treatment. And certainly when you compared surgery to active surveillance and even surgery to radiation, yeah. when all other things were held equal, surgery does not, at least in two to three years, it's tough on your, your sex life. Um, radiation also has a negative effect on sexual function, although perhaps not as much as surgery. The other thing we looked at was urinary function, so things like stopping and starting when you pee, burning when you pee, uh, blood in your urine, and also bowel function. And after surgery, there are a, a number of men who have real stress incontinence, leaking when they cough or they sneeze, and both studies showed that. It's actually a little less than we might have thought, and most guys get their function back but it's still a risk that men have to be aware of. Yeah. And we're able to quantify it depending on where they started. You know, as a man who's using these data, you can look at it and sort of say, okay, well, if I'm younger, if I have good function when I start, maybe I'm going to have better uh, continence outcomes. But clearly surgery had more leakage than the two other treatments. Radiation, on the other hand, had some urinary symptoms as well, burning when you pee, running to the john, yeah. and that was worse than surgery. Uh, and uh, uh, and worse than uh, active surveillance, but actually less than prior studies. Okay. So that was good. The last piece was bowel dysfunction, yeah. you know, because radiation can, in particular can affect bowels uh, function, and we saw that again, that men are going to be more likely to have pain when they have bowel movements, maybe uh, blood in their bowel movements. But again, the incidence is relatively small. Mm -hmm. What it really tells me in the end is this. If you're eligible for active surveillance, you should be seriously thinking about it, and then if you need to have a treatment, there are definite differences between surgery and radiation. And you have to sort of, I hate to use the term pick your poison because yeah. it doesn't sound like the right way to put it. Yeah. But some things are more important to some men than others. And I think that's what the studies really tell you. Sure. And what are some questions that patients should ask their urologist when selecting a prostate cancer treatment? So I think one of the first things you should be asking your urologist is what's my risk? How bad is this cancer? Because again, if you're a low risk or a very low risk patient, you're probably eligible for active surveillance. And patients should definitely be talking to their doctors about, look, do I really need to aggressively treat this cancer or can I watch it really closely and only treat it if it shows signs that it's getting worse? Other things that I always tell uh, patients to ask their urologist, they should ask what the different treatment options are at that particular site. You know, there are different ways to treat prostate cancer. And maybe you are seeing a urologist who doesn't do robotic surgery. Pretty rare in this day and age, but yeah. it's, it's, they're out there. And you want to know about how many cases the urologist has done. You do want to be talking to other. It's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion. Often urologists have partners who will give you a second opinion. And also talking to a radiation oncologist is a very good thing mm -hmm. because you can see different recommendations from different specialists. Um, and you can think about asking doctors about their outcomes after they de deliver the treatment. Now, not all urologists have that information, but some do. And in those who do, it may be more informative for patients. Our studies look at the average across okay. all the doctors. And so there are some surgeons who are better than others. And that's related often to how many cases they've done. So these are sort of things that you know, patients need to be asking their physicians. Where did this evidence come from for this study? 
So basically, this, uh, and I'll just talk about my study in particular, yeah, yeah, our study, sure, sure. Um, because it's the one of the two I know better. Um, both studies were published in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association okay. in 2017. They came out in the same issue. Uh, our study in particular had about 3,600 men, and they came from, let's see if I can remember, the states of Utah, Georgia, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, New Jersey, Louisiana, and Metropolitan Los Angeles, okay. the L.A. Basin. We also took patients from a disease uh, registry called the Capture Registry. Mm-hmm. So we had about 3,600 men, and they really represented you know, newly diagnosed men yeah. uh, in those areas from 2011 to 2012. Um, and importantly, what's really cool about this study is, unlike a lot of clinical trials that you see out there, uh, there's real racial... Uh, diversity in our study. Okay. One in four men in our study were either African American or uh, Hispanic, which is different than clinical trials. So it really does provide a real snapshot of what's going on in the community. We were very lucky because we partnered with the SEER registry, yeah. so we're able to identify patients as soon as they were diagnosed. In fact, we actually had to build in fail safes because we were often finding out the patients had cancer before the patient did. Okay. And we didn't be, want to be the ones who broke the news to them. And so in this regard, I feel really confident about the methods and that the findings are real and represent sort of the average experience of a man yeah. with prostate cancer in the United States. Something that always jumps out at me when it comes to prostate cancer versus other cancers, it seems like there's so many different treatment options. Is that unique to prostate cancer, or am I wrong? Is that is that a lot of cancers that kind of the case? There are a lot of decisions to be made. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think prostate cancer is unique in many regards. Uh, if you compare it to, say, bladder cancer, mm-hmm. uh, muscle-invasive bladder cancer, where, you know, it's a much shorter discussion. Prostate cancer, because... It's such a slow-growing cancer. Even the worst prostate cancers can take years to cause problems. Mm -hmm. It gives men more time to think about different options. And so we're able to sort of offer them some more aggressive and some less aggressive aggressive treatments. In many regards, prostate cancer is not that different than breast cancer. And what I mean by that is people, or even laryngeal cancer, you know, people talk about radiation versus surgery, a combination of the two. How aggressive your surgery is, that all applies in prostate cancer, but it certainly applies in breast cancer and laryngeal cancer. So I think with these slower growing cancers, mm-hmm. even though they can cause problems, you know, patients have more time to to sort of shop around, try sure. different treatments, and there's no there's much less urgency. So they're willing to try different approaches. Sure. And I think that's why you see this. So in that regard, prostate cancer is it is like other cancers. The one thing that's different about prostate cancer, and maybe this is, man, maybe it's just like thyroid cancer too, is that because of the PSA test, which is a great screening test in certain regards, and a terrible screening test in other regards, a lot of the prostate cancers we find are not clinically meaningful. So probably anywhere from one in five to one in three prostate cancers, which are detected by PSA, are never going to cause any people problem. And that's a whole lot different than, say, Pancreatic cancer, where if you get pancreatic cancer, it's 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 pretty bad, yeah. right? So that's that's a unique piece. But you see parallels to other cancers. So I don't think men who have prostate cancer should think they're uh, like every other cancer, yeah. or they're absolutely different than every can- mm-hmm. every other cancer. There are overlaps, and we can learn from from uh, the way we've treated other cancers. And other people, docs and patients who have other cancers, can learn from what sure. we've learned in prostate cancer. Sure. 
Well, Dr. Penson, I'll, I'll let you have the final word. If, if you have um, anything you want to say as we wrap up here, I will remind um, people that urologyhealth.org slash prostate cancer, you can get the fact sheet that came out that kind of wraps up the findings of these studies. So if you want, if you're interested on more information, you can certainly start there. And Dr. Penson, I'll give you the final word. Oh, thanks. Um, well, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to, to speak today. And I just want to encourage patients out there to do two things. Number one, when you're newly diagnosed, or even when you've been diagnosed and treated, keep an open avenue with your physician. Don't be afraid to talk to them about studies that you may have read. Uh, most of them have read them, and they'll give you their feedback on it. And the other thing is, and I alluded to this when we started, there's a real opportunity for patients in 2018 to become part of the research process and to help researchers, physicians identify what's important to patients, what you guys want to know so you can make smart decisions about your health care. And I would really encourage patients to work with the Urology Care Foundation, to work uh, with local prostate cancer advocacy groups to really push the agenda in research and really become involved because it's a different world now and the value of a patient in the research setting can't be understated. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, the official foundation of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org.